The advice in this podcast is general in nature and does not constitute medical advice. Always consult your doctor if you are concerned about your child's health. We recommend always following the safe sleep guidelines. In the spirit of reconciliation, Dr. Fallon and Dr. Law acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and the continuation of cultural, spiritual and educational practices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. They pay respects to their elders past and present and recognise that sovereignty was never ceded. Hello again and welcome back to Brand New Little People, the podcast where we talk about all things sleep and settling and crying and, well, early parenting in general in those first few very busy years. I'm Dr. Fallon Cook and I'm here with my lovely colleague, Dr. Laura Conway. (laughs) How are you going, Laura? I'm good, thanks, Fallon. How are you? Yeah, good. It's been a bit of a wild week. You actually, you told me a bit of a funny story um, about how you, well, contributed to writing a book, but kind of forgot about it. <laughs> Tell us about yes. that. I know, it's so funny. So um, when you work in um, academia, um, and for those listeners who do, you will understand this well, um, you can um, put your heart and soul into writing a piece of work, such as a book chapter, and then off it goes to the publishers. And it can take an awfully long time for um, you to get any um, or to hear about it again. So I actually had entirely forgotten about even writing this book <laughs> chapter. And um, then I received a package in the in the post, um, which I didn't even open for a few days. <laughs> I thought that it was something entirely different than what it was. Um, and when I opened it, I was like, oh, oh, it's a book. Oh, my goodness, that's right. <laughs> it's a book on language development. And... Um, <laughs> there's my chapter um and yeah what's the book called thank you Uh, well it's called language development um individual differences in a social context um but the chapter i wrote with um a few of my wonderful colleagues um is looking at how parent-child interaction impacts language development um which um yeah, yeah, really interesting. And um, and <laughs> earlier on, I had a little look to remind myself, because it was so long ago um, that I wrote it, that I was like, oh, yeah, this is really fascinating. <laughs> oh, yes, that's right. Oh, I forgot that I found that. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, anyway, lovely, really lovely to see it in print. Um, and, um, yeah, I just... Um, it felt quite, um, well, first of all, I thought it was hilarious that I had completely forgotten about it. But then there is something really nice about ho- holding a book in your hand <laughs> that you've yeah. um, contributed to and seeing your name in print and when it is something that is so fascinating. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners would find um, their baby and toddler's language development um, so um, awe-inspiring, really, that you have these little oh, babies yeah. that come out with um, no words and in a really relatively short space of time they're using gestures and then they're starting to utter their first words and putting words together Uh, and it's just so it's so much anticipated isn't it your baby's first word yeah Um, absolutely mm. it's just amazing to hear what they come out with like in such funny things (laughs) and yeah it is just utterly fascinating the way they're able to just observe the world around them and pick up so much language and from yeah from parents and playtime and 
and all of that. Yeah, absolutely amazing yeah. area of work. Well done. That's fantastic. Yeah, thank you very much. And I think you had a book chapter come out as well, Fallon. Yeah, I got an email the other day. I was a bit like you. I sort of forgotten that it was something I worked on years ago um, with a couple of really lovely colleagues um, at the Royal Children's Hospital Sleep Clinic, actually. And it's, um, yeah, it's just been released and they're going to send me a copy. It's so nice when they actually send you a copy of your work. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to getting that. It's the Oxford, Oxford Handbook of Developmental Cognitive Neuroscience and it's a chapter on sleep in development. Um, and all about uh, my specific bit that I was writing was all about the links between um, sleep quality and quantity and how that links in with outcomes for children, mental health, a um, bunch mm. of other different developmental outcomes. But really looking at the, you know, how do we support good quality sleep to make sure kids have the best possible development that they, that they can. Um, so, Amazing. yeah, it's nice to know that that one's on the way, which is, yeah, very Yay. exciting. <laughs> And it's so good that um, you have had that nice um, positive um, experience this week because you have had a bit of a rubbish one as well, haven't you, Fallon, with your mm. skin cancer diagnosis? Yes. Yeah, it's been one of those weeks that you just think, oh, I'm not going to forget this one for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so highs, am... really high highs and very low lows. Oh, yes. Yes, been a few shocking moments, that's for sure. So, look, I will be absolutely completely fine. But, yeah, I got a, a call last week to let me know that this, this little tiny, totally innocent-looking dot on my face, on my nose, actually, um, is actually a skin cancer. And it's a very slow-moving, non-aggressive skin cancer. So I will be completely fine. Um, and mm. I'll be treated for that over the next... Um, the next six weeks or so um but mm -hmm. gosh it was just a shock to get that phone call and the doctor yeah. this is a little bit funny I mean I probably shouldn't laugh at these things but she was basically like yeah so it's cancer um and then so I'm sitting there just utterly stunned like completely stunned because Aww. I'm 39 like you just don't you know mm -hmm. you go get things checked out and you're like it'll be fine it'll be totally fine I'm too young to be sick <laughs> and so she said that and then she's like oh let me just check a few notes and things and so she, I can hear her kind of like rummaging around clicking things and I'm just sitting there for like it was about a full minute <laughs> I'm sitting there horrified Aww. barely breathing thinking what the heck and then she Aww. finally came back on the phone to say yeah it's just a really slow moving one you don't need to be oh, too worried <laughs> and oh my god the relief oh gosh it almost Aww. got me a heart attack um yeah but, yeah, it was very sobering because, you know, I've got a family history of some really deadly skin cancers um, mm. and just a bit sobering to find that I'm actually really susceptible to skin cancers and now I will have to have a check mm. every year. It's very, very likely that I'll have multiple other skin cancers pop up. Um, okay. So obviously I'm going to be sensible and get my skin checked all the time. Um, but this was such yeah. a tiny spot that even the skin cancer doctor was like, oh, this is nothing. But if you really want to be sort of abundantly cautious, we'll do a biopsy just to have a look. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm really glad that I did that. Um, yeah. Mm. Well done. I'm so pleased. I remember you going off to have it checked out and thinking, because uh, you told me, and but it was, oh, yeah, it won't be anything. I said, oh, right, <laughs> okay, yeah, it won't be anything. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and yeah, turns out it is something. So yeah. thank heavens you have got onto it. And um, I know that you um, posted a picture on your um, like personal 
Instagram page to show um, what it looks like um, as a way of educating um, mm. the rest of us, I suppose, as to how innocuous skin cancer can look. So I wonder if you'd consider posting a picture for our listeners in case they're interested. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I can share it on the um, the Infant Sleep Australia page. So yeah, if you want to see what it looks like, it's a real shock because it just looks like nothing. It's been on my face mm. for ages. <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever really noticed. Um, but yeah, yeah. No, I'm happy to share that because I think it's so important to raise awareness. So if you've got, you know, in my case, I had an auntie who died from skin cancer when I was a child and an uncle who's had um, multiple skin cancers. My mother has as well. Um, if you've got that family history, it doesn't matter how young you are, just get checked really regularly. Mm. It doesn't take very long. Um, and then, you know, you're on top of it. Because I know the first thing I thought of when I was umming and ahhing about this weird spot was, well, what about my kids? You know, sometimes as parents, we don't really think about mm. ourselves very much. Um, mm. I'm terrible at, you know, doing things like getting checks on time and all of that because I'm always worrying about my kids. But this actually, you know, really does impact the kids if I'm unwell. So yeah. that's what really yeah. um, motivated me to go and get it checked out. Um, so yeah, and did yeah, you tell your – have you told your kids, Fallon? Yeah, yeah, I did. And I was really – careful I had to think about how I was going to frame it because I didn't want them to get unnecessarily worried like we know that I'll be fine but when people hear the word cancer they panic <laughs> like they're just gonna mm. panic um and so I framed it I said to them you know how I had that little spot biopsied on my nose the doctor like took it took it out and and checked it and I'm like yeah and I said such a good thing that I did that because it actually turned out there was a bit of cancer in that and they were like what oh you're so lucky mum oh thank goodness you did that and I said yeah yeah so now we're just going to do this little treatment thing to make sure that you know if there's any tiny cancer cells that might be left in there we just want to make sure they're totally gone but I'll be completely fine but isn't it really lucky that you know we got onto it quickly and so then it really turned it into this positive oh thank goodness you know it's this is all mm. great whereas if I'd had just said well I'm going to be treated for cancer now there's a cancer that it would have just landed the wrong way and caused them more stress yeah so just I yeah. don't know something about the way it was framed that really helped them um, yeah. yeah to deal with that and news. as parents we as parents, we do have to tell our kids bad news at various mm. points, don't we? Um, and um, uh, there, I know that there are some really um, good books out there that parents can read. And obviously, there's bound to be a heap of information online, but go mm. to reputable sources like the Raising Children's Network, um, which might give you some hints and tips about how to break bad news um, mm. to um, children in an age-appropriate way. Uh, it sounds like um, you did a really good job there, Fallon, and you obviously know your children the best and knew what would make them feel um, safe with that information, which no child ever wants to hear, that their mum has cancer, um, mm. but you've done it in a really um, a way that's respectful to their age but also really positive um, for them, that it's... Um, you found it and you're treating it and um it's likely that things will it will you know go away now mm. so that's yeah, great they seem to be coping pretty well so hopefully i've yeah handled it all right but yeah raising children's network has some really good resources on this sort of stuff um so if mm. you are you know having to tell your kids something a bit of bad news it's a great place to go to get tips for sure yeah yeah so we oh, also had a, well, a very busy uh, week just in terms of, you know, the work side of things as well. We've just launched something 
really exciting. And oh my gosh, Laura, we've had a huge response to this that we really weren't expecting. Um, what we've yes. done is we've launched what we're calling the Toddler Sleep Mini Series, and it's um, it comes with an ebook, so you can sign up to the mini series, you get your ebook. It's completely free, um, and so many parents have signed up. I think toddler sleep problems are just so common, um, and there just isn't a lot of really good help out there. Waiting for mm. hospital sleep clinics or even waiting for our clinic at the moment, you know, it's a bit of a wait. Yeah. Um, so we really wanted to do something so that parents get a good grounding in the things that can, you know, go wrong with toddler sleep and a few ideas on what you can look at and, and what you might do. Um, so I'm really proud of it. It's a great series. So it's 10 mm-hmm. emails you get each morning, um, 10 days in a row. Um, and really one, e- home- one email each <laughs> one email each morning you don't want to freak parents out thinking they're going to get 10 emails every single morning yeah (laughs) yeah not 10 emails every morning I haven't got time for that sorry no so no no time you won't be seeing Fallon in the clinic because she's too busy writing 10 emails each morning (laughs) I'll be there in a minute I'm just up to email number nine (laughs) yeah so no one email each morning for 10 mornings so as not to overwhelm anybody um and we just go over all the sort of foundation stuff about toddler sleep and every day you get like a little um like a little task you can do or something you can think about um, and I think that'll really help lots and lots of parents um, the real things we're focusing in on are the common toddler sleep difficulties so things like really frequent night waking bedtime difficulties <laughs> there's mm-hmm. a lot of toddlers who are experts in delaying and delaying and putting off bedtime uh, and also yeah. early rising in the morning as well so if you do have a toddler and you're having some difficulties you can join that it's entirely free and it just gives you that really good um, grounding in toddler sleep so yeah awesome we've had uh, over 100 people sign up in the last couple of days <laughs> and we yeah. haven't really even at, well we did like a a social media post about it and sent out an email but um yeah that's, that's it really so lovely. far but, yeah, yeah I think so many families think that once their toddler once their child rather is no longer a baby that that's it game over and yeah. uh, the time has passed um and you know obviously most of our listeners um who uh, you know may have little babies uh just getting on the front foot um understanding sleep um, but there are people who um, haven't found out about us yet and they have two or three-year-olds and think, oh, they've always been a terrible sleeper. I've never been able to um, mm. do anything to make their sleep better and I've just missed the boat and this is I've just got yeah. to live with it now. Yeah, that and that's not the case. Is, yeah, I've missed the boat. There's nothing I can do. They'll always be a horrible sleeper. But, you know, sleep problems can be treated in 90-year-old people. I don't know why we think it yes. stops at toddlerhood. <laughs> Definitely doesn't. <laughs> and what I think is really interesting, Laura, is so often toddler sleep problems don't take that long to resolve. Like it just it's a case mm-hmm. of just really working out what we need to do. And then usually, you know, over the course of two or three weeks or so, um, most of them are well and truly on track. So it's, yeah, often parents are just surprised. It actually wasn't that hard to iron out the difficulties. You just have to kind of figure out what those difficulties are, what the underlying causes are. And once we get on top of that, um, it all tends to come together. So, yeah, hopefully we'll get some some good feedback on, on that mini series. It's been a lot of work putting it together, but I think it's really worth it because I hate the thought of parents waiting and waiting um, for appointments and just not getting mm. good advice in the interim. So, yeah, it gives them something to um to get started on. Yeah. Um, we've had a few really good questions come through this week, Laura. 
Um, yes. Maybe we start with this one. This one's from Kirsten who asked, why does my four and a half month old cry when I pop her down to put her in her sleep suit for her naps and for nighttime sleep? I'm thinking she's anticipating sleep and doesn't want to go down. At the same time, my fiance and I are struggling to settle her in her cot and she hasn't got the ability to take herself off to sleep just yet. Where should I start? I think she's in the thick of the four-month sleep regression. Mm. Mm. Okay. Oh, Kirsten. Yep. This is the age where um, babies sleep can begin to be a bit tricky if it hasn't been beforehand. Um, doesn't happen for all um, babies, but often it is the time where um, preferences can begin to emerge. Yeah, uh, they really know they, what they want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, they're not doing anything wrong. Um, it's just that they're beginning to um, wake up a little bit. Their cognitive development is such that they're a little bit more aware of what's going on around them and what things feel nice and what things don't feel um like they would like them to um and so yeah you could well be in the thick of what is colloquially known as that four month sleep regression but it's not it's obviously not a regression um it's um expected and it's part of development um so yes so she's crying as soon as you lay her down to pop her into her sleep suit and then um it's um a bit of a struggle to settle her in the cot so i've got a few things going on in my mind about what might be happening there fallon um mm. one is thinking about how um kirsten's baby will be coming out of that newborn or is out of that newborn baby phase and very little baby phase now and um starting to need more time awake during the day than um perhaps she was having when she was a little bit smaller um so one thing would be to consider um whether she's quite ready to go to sleep at the point that you're trying to put her down um for her naps perhaps she actually mm. could cope with even 10 15 minutes longer than um she's currently having um yeah. and she's just letting you know that by having a bit of a squawk yes. when, uh, so that chapter on the unique sleep needs would be a really important one to start with kirsten yeah um, just to make sure you've got kind of that daily rhythm that's really fitted to your baby's unique sleep needs that'll help to ensure that when you are putting her down you know that she's definitely ready for sleep so that could be yeah, mm. definitely one place to start yeah, what else would you be thinking when you read this, Fallon? Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things. It's always really hard to go from, you know, a, having a baby who's, you know, being held or potentially fed to sleep and then working on cot settling. It, it's hard because it's just so different for them and it takes so much practice. Mm -hmm. So I would say don't be too hard on yourself. Uh, it's going to be a little bit tricky. Um, don't feel like you've got to do – I mean, some parents just want to do everything at once and they're like, okay, I'm just going to put my baby down in the cot – I'm going to give them so much support while they're in their cot, but we're just going to persist with cot settling because that's what I really want to do. Um, others aren't in such a rush. And so it would be fine to just do some practice at maybe you're padding and humming or singing to her while she's in her cot. Um, and maybe you do that, you know, for 10 minutes or so at the start of every nap or bedtime just to help her get used to it. Maybe it doesn't always result in her falling asleep in her cot, um, but I wouldn't be too worried about that. Just try to practice it um, as much as you can. And I think it is just a really tricky age because this tends to be the age when they, they kind of work out that if 
I'm put in my cot and I really, really get upset, there's actually a really good chance that mum or dad will pick me up and I won't have to be in my cot. So it becomes really tricky because the crying isn't always about, you know, when they're tiny little babies, when they cry, they really, really need something. There's a need that has to be met. And as they get older, they will start to cry because they have a strong preference for something different. And they also Mm. start to learn Mm -hmm. that when I cry really hard, mum and dad are more likely to do something a bit different. And so sometimes it can be really challenging trying to work out, is this something I should be pushing through or do I need to take a step back here? Mm. Um, so I think probably a bit irritatingly, the answer isn't clear cut, is it, Laura? It's more a case <laughs> no. of what, where do you feel you're at? If you really want to get the cot settling happening, just keep persisting with it and share that cot settling with a partner. Um And, you know, you might just want to push through lots and lots of support while they make that adjustment. Um, And in a couple Mm. of days, they should be settling pretty easily in their cot. Um, But if that feels too overwhelming and too difficult, just aim to do a little bit of practice and she'll start to, Mm. or they will start to realise that um, the cot isn't a scary place. Actually, it's really lovely because this is where mum or dad pats me and sings to me and and they'll start Mm. to feel a little bit more comfortable with it. Yeah, and check out the... um uh, part of the sleep course that describes the different ways that you could um, be settling um, your four-month-old in her cot um, and together with your partner um, pick which one you think is going to suit you best um, right yeah. now. Yeah because there's yeah. a few approaches there to choose from and um, if as you work through the program you'll see there's different case studies that talk about different families and how they might have made a few edits to the approach or made some modifications mm. to really tailor it to their child and that's the thing I love the most about Sunval is that you can really tailor things to your specific child so definitely have a really close read through all the approaches all the case studies so you really understand what the options are and once you decide on an approach just yeah really stick with it until that um, you know, really starts to come together. And often at this age too, things do improve really, really quickly. Um, so good luck, Kirsten. Yeah. I hope that helps. <laughs> yeah. And we've got another email here from Louise, um, who is kind of a little bit of a similar vein, isn't it, Fallon? Yeah. So um, Louise says that her baby is six months old um, and her baby is breastfed or rocked to sleep and wakes frequently overnight um, and so they um, are always starting the night um, with their baby sleeping in the cot um, usually end up co-sleeping because um, Louise says I'm too tired to keep putting her back in the cot overnight um, I want her to sleep in her cot all night rather than co-sleeping uh, and that's a perfectly reasonable thing to want at six months of age Um, And Louise goes on to say, I'm having trouble putting her in the cot awake. When she falls asleep breastfeeding or being rocked, I can transfer her to the cot asleep. But if I put her in awake, she just cries and won't settle, even though I'm patting and singing to her. I'm having trouble watching her cry for 10 minutes before picking her up. Is there something else I can do? I'm struggling to see her cry for that long. And each time I pick her up, then put her back in the cot, the crying gets worse. Oh, oh, Louise, yeah, challenging. that sounds really hard. It does sound yeah. very, very challenging. Yeah. yeah what are your definitely. thoughts, Fallon? Well, one of the first things I thought was, well, probably similar to, to Kirsten as well, I would definitely be looking at the baby's unique sleep needs in this case because if she's waking really frequently overnight, 
and just sort of, yeah, springing awake constantly. There's a really good chance there could be a little bit too much daytime sleep happening or something could just be a little bit off with the timing mm-hmm. of things. Maybe a nap's a bit close to bedtime. Um, usually, mm-hmm. I mean, in the clinic we see this too, the ones who are having a really hard time with cot settling, usually there's just a bit of a sleep pressure problem and we just tinker with that schedule a little bit and then suddenly the cot settling gets so much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so I probably sound like a broken record, but I would absolutely go through that unique ch- uh, sleep needs chapter um, again and just make sure you've really got a daily rhythm that matches what your baby's unique sleep needs are. Um, and I would say in this case, since she's being breastfed, I'd probably get, um, if you've got a partner, I don't think it mentions it in the email, but if you have a partner, get them to do most of that cot settling, just because as a breastfeeding parent, your baby can smell that milk on you. And often they really struggle to fall asleep in their cot. If they've been fed to sleep and then you're working on cot settling, they're just going to get really irritated because they're like, I can see you Mm. there. (laughs) I really want this (laughs) feed to sleep. So if that's something you really you want to change and you want them to be falling asleep without the feed, yet odds are that their other parent is going to have an easier time of things um, settling them mm. in the cot. Um, I hear you on, you know, co-sleeping halfway through the night because you're just too tired. And this is where I reckon it's really important when you decide to make a move to cot settling, often we say to families, try and clear a few days if you can. So sometimes, um, you know, parents might take annual leave on the Friday and the Monday if they can, or Mm. if they've got extended family who can come and help. You just kind of want to have a few days where you know that sleep's going to be difficult because you're going to be persisting with cot settling. Um, You might be woken up a bit more at night. You know, it's going to get better really, really quickly. Probably after a few Mm. days, you're going to find that your sleep is well and truly on track. But having extra supports around you while you make that big push um, is really important to kind of, yeah, getting it done. Would you agree with that, Laura? Yeah, I think so. Um, So knowing that um, you're going to make this push to do the cot settling and say to yourself and um, your partner to agree that from tonight onwards, even if your daughter is waking up a lot overnight and you're really tired, that you're going to make the commitment that you're not going to co-sleep. If that's the one thing you want to change, which is what Louise wants to do, she wants to stop co-sleeping, she wants her baby to sleep in the cot all night, then Mm. make that decision that um, each time she wakes overnight, you're going to use that one consistent approach to get her um, to go back to sleep in her cot um, rather than bringing her into um, your bed with you. Um, What can happen is that if um, you sometimes bring your daughter back into your bed with you and sometimes you don't is that she's not going to know um which way you're going to respond when you do go to her overnight so yeah uh, is if i um if i don't settle back to sleep this time maybe mum will take me into the bed um so yeah you know it's confusing it's just a little bit confusing. It's um, sometimes I describe it as a night at the casino. You don't know <laughs> <laughs> whether the diet, the the ball is going to fall on the black or the red. Um, you know, is is it going to? Am I going to go into the um, bed with mum tonight? So if you've made the decision that that's something that you do want to change, then stick with it. Um, and then yeah. that just takes that variation away from your baby overnight. She knows that that's not going to happen anymore, and then that makes it much easier for everyone. Um, yeah. if she understands that she's just going to be settled in a cot each time she wakes. 
Yeah, and it'll only be a few nights and she'll realise, okay, this is my mm. only place of sleep and she will settle down for sure. And, you know, you ask um, Louise about what sort of approaches you can use. <clears throat> um, it sounds like you're probably using the quick fade approach that we describe in Sunbow where you're sort of um, patting them and shushing them in the cot, giving them lots of support for 10 minutes and then you're picking them up for a cuddle and then trying again. Um, if that feels too difficult, I mean, there's two ways you can go. So some parents will opt for the slow fade approach where um, it takes it you know, even more slowly. It can take a lot, a lot longer to see change, but that's where you're going to be giving her a lot more support in your arms and sort of really gradually moving towards cot settling. So you could read up on that one and see if that one kind of resonates with you. Um, but some parents will, sometimes they just say, look, it's just so upsetting to my baby if I pick them up and put them back down again, that I actually find it easier just to stick with the cot settling. So it could be that you just keep persisting with the cot settling. Maybe you wait 15 minutes before picking her up or so you know you could play mm. around with how long you persist with cot settling for um or you might even decide to just um you know be a little bit less hands-on so for some parents they'll realize actually being there and patting constantly is really irritating my baby you know they've all got really mm. different personalities and temperaments so you could even experiment with maybe not patting all of the time maybe just doing it every now and then um see if maybe they settle a bit quicker when they've got a little bit of space um, so I'd say definitely read back through the strategies chapter and consider those different approaches. Um, it might just be that, you know, you've had a try of one, it's not quite the right fit and you just need to pivot a little bit um, to find that right approach. Um, yeah. But yeah. Good luck, and Louise. You're doing a great job. Yeah. Good luck, Louise. Uh, and then we mm. had, we actually had someone message us through Instagram and they're not a member of Sunbell, but they just really wanted us to answer a question, which <laughs> I thought, why not? It's a really, really good question. Um, Laura, this one came in from Lynn. She says, mm -hmm. my six month old is waking every 40 to 90 minutes all night long. She can oh. self settle and resettle. Mm. She takes a dummy and is breastfed only. She does not have a feed to sleep association all strong foundations are in place, so she always goes into the cot awake, is what Lynn's saying. Mm -hmm. She previously used to sleep six or seven hours before waking up. Um, she'd have one feed and then she'd easily go back down. And she asks, in your opinion, would this be overtiredness or habitual now? Sometimes I leave her and she resettles, but mostly I have to pop her dummy in and she's immediately back to sleep. She says, it's driving me crazy. Um, other mm. sleep consultants have said that she's overtired from catnapping and her maternal and child health nurse said that it's behavioural and a phase and it will pass. But Lynn really wants to know when it's going to pass because her three-year-old never went through this phase at six months of age mm. um, and she's finding it really tough at the moment. Mm. What do you think, Laura? Is this overtiredness or habitual? Um, I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt <laughs> <No>. it. <laughs> No, um, I suspect there's a couple of things that might be happening. Um, so given that uh, you've described that she's catnapping during the day, she might have a um, slightly lower sleep need for 24 hours than, um, than average. Um, sometimes what we see with um, babies that are catnappers is that um, look, she's at the six month mark. Um, that's often the time when the sleep needs um, can shift once again. Um, and at around that age, 
um, babies can begin to stay awake for a little bit longer before bed than they previously were able to. So if your um, baby is a catnapper, potentially they might be having three or four catnaps a day and the last catnap mm. might be getting a bit too close to bedtime. Yeah, um, so definitely that pattern yeah. of night waking every 40 to 90 minutes is just signature low sleep pressure. There's just not enough buildup yeah. of sleep pressure to have a good long stretch of sleep at night. Mm. Um, so I definitely, um, or they're not a Sunbell member, but um, if you were, you'd be reading through that unique sleep needs chapter and that's where you'd really be able to figure out what your, your baby's unique sleep needs are and you could figure out you know what schedule what sort of timing do we need to really push up that mm-hmm. nighttime sleep pressure um so it's definitely not overtiredness your baby's too old um for us to really be too worried about overtiredness it's a really pervasive mm-hmm. myth out there um and it's also very unlikely that your baby's waking out of habit it does sound like the dummy could be a bit of a contributor mm-hmm. to these wake-ups mm-hmm. though um, you don't have to drop the dummy if you don't want to. Like, it sounds like it's a really useful way to get her to settle down off to sleep in her cot. Um, start mm-hmm. to put the dummy in her hand, though, and direct her arm up to her face. So she's kind of getting used to that gross motor movement that's needed um, to get the dummy into her mouth because usually at about seven months of, of age they get really skilled at replacing their own dummy. So you might only be mm. a few weeks away from her being able to find that dummy in the cot at night, put it back in herself, and then you're not you know, being woken up to go and replace it for her. Yeah, um, and one thing that she could do is some dummy play during the day, couldn't she, Fallon? Yes. Where, um, uh, not introducing extra dummy time um, during the day, um, apart from just maybe five minutes or so at some point when your baby's wide awake and on the mat, um, put the dummy um, near your baby's head um, and um, as part of a game, just help her reach for the dummy and pop it back in her mouth because then when she's um, tired and overnight has lost her dummy, she's she's got that gross motor skill and has that um, a lot. Yeah. She's had lots of practice during the day of reaching around to try and find the dummy. So she's going to yeah. be more able to do that overnight she's when she's a little bit tired. When she's tired, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's a really good idea, Laura. Definitely. Mm. Um we also had a couple of really great parent updates. So we um, spoke about a parent last week who was worried about managing naps during travel. Um, and we mm. had a little update to say that that family had an amazing time on their trip. Um, <laughs> their baby slept really well on the plane. Um, she managed to adjust okay to sleeping somewhere different and things have gone really well. Baby's dropped down to two naps now and she sent through this little thing to say, um, she says, I want to say thank you again for Sunbell and thank you both for all of your knowledge. As a biomedical scientist, I find it so comforting knowing this course was created by you both and that it's backed by research. And I feel secure now when people say she's waking too, she's awake too long before bed. I know that they're going by the prescribed awake windows approach and I know that they don't know my baby like I do. Love that yes, feedback. Love it's it. really lovely. Good on you. It's so empowering to really understand your baby's sleep. You're doing awesomely well, so well done. Um, Laura, did you get, I think you said you got an email through. Yeah, I did. Um, so I had an email from a Sombell member. She's joined the 0 to 3 month old program. 
Um, so thank you for your email, Kat. She um, has said that um, she's found the Sombell program to be fantastic um, and she's implemented some cot settling techniques. Um, so her baby's um, overnight waking has improved significantly, which is Yay. great. And she just said... Um, she was uh, very much looking for evidence-based sleep help and thankful for the program and how it was structured. It's given me more confidence on how to understand what my baby needs and worry less about his sleep. I have also listened to your podcasts and have enjoyed them so much. So thank you again. Yay. So, oh, oh, that's really yay. lovely. Love that feedback. Thank you. Kat. Look, on the note of feedback, what we wondered was we know we've got a heap of families that absolutely love Sombell or love seeing us in the clinic. Um, we know they listen in every week. Um, there, you know, we talk about it all the time, but there is a lot of misinformation out there about sleep. And what we're really trying to do is make parents aware that there is really good quality information that they can um, be getting. What we would love, if anybody has the time or inclination, we are really looking for families who would be happy to do a video testimonial. So if you've had this great turnaround and you've got one or two minutes just to make a short video where you can sort of explain what sleep problem you were having um, and how you resolved it and tell us how it's improved your life and what change it's made to your life. Because when parents can see videos of other parents talking about their experiences, they start to learn where they can kind of put their trust. And I think a lot of parents mm. really struggle with knowing where can I get reliable information from? There's nothing like hearing hearing a review from another parent. So if you've got time to do that, oh, we will love you forever. Um, you can just send it through. <laughs> I'll put a, a link in the in the show notes. Um, yeah. If you do have a toddler, please come join our mini series. The more the merrier. We've certainly got a big crowd who have joined that, which is wonderful. And of course, if you've got a baby with sleep troubles or settling problems, um, absolutely check out Sombell. Um, it might just be what you need to get sleep back on track and uh, enjoy some more well-rested days. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, everyone. It's been um, uh, well, it's a, another long podcast, Fallon. We're not doing very good at keeping these nice and short, but um, <laughs> no, we better draw it to a close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll wrap this up. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. If you need help with your baby's sleep or settling, then you need Sombell. Sombell is Australia's first online paediatric sleep clinic for babies aged 0 to 12 months. It contains all the best resources from Dr. Fallon and Dr. Laura's sleep clinics, so you can rest easy and so can your baby. To find out more, click the link in the show notes or visit sombell.infantsleep.com.au.